Thank you for being here again this evening, and if you're visiting with us, we especially want you to know that we appreciate you being here. If you're joining us online, we thank you for that also. We talk a great deal about faith, and rightly so. Uh, we should believe that God is, we should believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, his, of God. We should believe the Scriptures are His Word, and we should try and convince other people that God is, and that Christ is His Son, and that the Word or the Scriptures is His Word. I want to talk with you, if I may, this evening about the subject, the value of faith. Uh, to some, this will just be a reminder of things that you already know, but for hopefully, and maybe you'll uh, be reminded of some things that you've kindly forgotten of. And for some, maybe it will be a real eye-opener as to how important faith is, and maybe it'll cause us to want to believe and have this kind of faith. We'll talk about a number of things, and so we can't spend a lot of time on any of them, but uh, hopefully you'll study them further. Hopefully you'll build up your own faith as uh, you study these things. So let's talk about the value of faith. And I want to first of all suggest to you that faith enlightens us, giving us answers that otherwise would be unanswerable to us. Look, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews and the first chapter or excuse me, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Look down, if you would, to about verse 6, I think it is. Uh, no, excuse me, uh, verse 3, verse 3, where the writer says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Do you know how many people are trying to figure out where the world came from? But I know, because of faith. And you know, if you believe the Scriptures, and know that the Scriptures tell us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so we know that only because of our faith. Not only that, but look, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians in the 4th chapter and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. Paul says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He was talking about suffering and telling us that in this life we suffer, but that's, that's temporal. But by faith, we look to those things that are not seen. We, we understand by faith that man has a spirit. You can't see the spirit. You can't weigh it, as far as I know. But yet, it's there. And really, the only way that you know that it's there is by faith in what the Scriptures say. Oh. He's talking about things that are not seen. He's talking about God. He's talking about Christ. We didn't see the resurrection. He's talking about things like that. He's talking about heaven and hell. And so he's saying, we know about these things because of our faith. Otherwise, we wouldn't know anything about that. Paul mentions in the book of 1 Corinthians and the second chapter some people he calls naturalists or the natural man. And those are people that will not accept 
anything as a in the way of revelation. And so they don't know about these things. They may wonder about them and, and want some kind of specific proof for them. But you and I, because of our faith, we know about these things. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the book of 2 Corinthians in the 5th chapter in verse 7, he said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Meaning that we believe in all of these things and we let these things guide us. That's what walking by faith is. Walking according to the things that God has told us, believing that they are true, even though we can't see them or or physically prove them in some way. But I'll suggest to you that you'll not be disappointed by walking by faith in the things that God has said. I'm reminded of the passage in the book of Romans in the ninth chapter in verse 33 where Paul wrote and said, whoever believes on him, talking about Christ, will not be put to shame. And what it means is that if Christ tells us something and we put our trust in it, we're not going to end up being ashamed. We're not going to come to find out that and, and trust him for our salvation and then get to uh, further down the line and find out that he can't deliver us in salvation. Whatever he tells us, we can believe. And things that we hear from him, we need to make that our path and walk by faith. So we learn things by faith that we couldn't otherwise know anything about. The second we need to know that we cannot please God without faith. If you're still in the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, this is verse 6, where the writer says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here he is telling us, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, that we have to believe God if we're going to please God. And we not only need to believe that God is, but we need to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Think back, if you would, for a moment in the Old Testament of, of the people that have put their trust in God and knew that he was someone that was a rewarder of those uh, that sought him. You have Abel. Of course, Cain killed Abel, but Cain or Abel was doing what God had said do. Noah. Out of the whole world, Noah and his family are the only ones that believed, but they were the only ones that were, uh, came through the flood also. And then you have Abraham, whom the promise was made, and all the parts of the promise came to pass. And of course, with that, also Isaac and Jacob. You have Joseph, and think about all the troubles that he had, and yet he still believed in God, still trusted in God. And when Potiphar's wife accused him, he was okay with that, even though he was in prison, and even though the uh, butler and the baker had dreams, and he told the dreams for him, and one of them was, was spared, one was uh, executed, and yet later he's raised to second in Egypt, all because he still believed in God, and believed that, that God was a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And then after that you would have Moses, and you'd have lots of other uh, people who were rewarded because they kept faith in God. And so I'd suggest to you, believe in God and believe that he's a rewarder, and eventually you too will be rewarded. He's, this is what faith does. We need faith to please God. And those who believe in God and believe he's a rewarder of those that seek him, 
then he will give us our reward. The third thing I want you to know is that we need faith to obey God. I want you to look over, and we talked about this passage a little bit in class the other day, but look at Hebrews, the third chapter, if you would, for a moment. Hebrews is talking about the children of Israel and how they didn't enter into the rest that he promised them, that promised land, the original ones that came out of Egypt, because when they got to the promised land and God told them to go spy it out, they went and spied it out, and when he told them to enter it, they didn't believe him, and they disobeyed. But I want you to notice particularly beginning in verse 18, how it reads, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. Now notice, they didn't enter because they did not obey. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. What I want you to see is that our belief is what propels us to obey. And so if we don't have that faith, we're going to not obey God. We need faith in order to obey Turn over, if you would, to the book of Luke in the 17th chapter, and, and notice beginning in verse 3, uh, Jesus speaks and says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now that's pretty tough telling somebody that, I guess, that if your brother sins against you, you just forgive him. And if he does it seven times, seven times in a day, you're still supposed to forgive him if he comes saying, I repent. And, but listen to verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They recognized this was something that was going to be hard for them to obey maybe. And their answer was, Lord, increase our faith. If we need faith to obey, if there's something that's hard, Perhaps we're going to need even more faith. And yet don't overlook the, what Jesus says in verse 6 when he says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be moved, and it'd be moved into the midst of the sea. And so maybe it doesn't take as much faith as we need or, or as we think sometimes to propel us to obey. But certainly it shows us that there's a connection between our belief and our faith. And so we need faith. The fourth thing I want to suggest to you, we must have faith for the Word to work in us efficiently. Look, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians and the second chapter in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. And Paul writes to these brethren, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the words of men, but as in truth the word of God. Now notice, which also effectively works in you who believe. So if we want the word of God to work in us, then we need to be people that believe. You ever notice how some people, they are obeying and they are being effective, or the word is effectively working in them, and then here's somebody else that's not? and one is a believer, the other one is not. That's the difference. One has faith, and so that word works in him. The other one doesn't, and so that word's not going to work in him. Go back again, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, and this time the fourth chapter. We mentioned the example that we 
uh, of the Israelites and how they did not enter the rest. And the reason they didn't enter the rest was because of their disobedience, because of unbelief. But listen at this comment, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. So just like they had a rest and they didn't enter in it, he's encouraging us, you press toward that new rest, talking about heaven. He said, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Notice the gospel had been preached to them, not in the same way that we have it, and where we have the New Testament and it being preached, but the promises of the gospel was being preached. And so he says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So again, you see, what's wrong with this? Why didn't they, they obey? Well, they didn't have the faith. They needed faith in order for that word to work in them, and they were lacking. And so the value of faith is that it causes and allows the word of God to work in us. Fifth, I want you to know that we're saved through faith. Most of us can certainly uh, quote Ephesians 2, 8, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And so we know that it is by faith that we're saved. Uh, if you want a little more insight in that, look over to the book of Romans in the third chapter. He again will tell us that we are saved by faith or by grace and by grace, but he gives us a little more details in how he works this out. Look at Romans 3 and verse 24. Or 20, 23 says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. And so there's this idea of salvation by grace. And then he says, through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth a propitiation by the blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. So he says, again, we're saved by grace through redemption. Redemption is the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. And so we're saved by grace because he forgives us. And when he does, then we are saved. And so it's by faith that we are saved, he says. Now, that's not talking about faith only. You look at James, and he talks about that, show me your faith, and I'll show you my works. There's that correlation between the two. And then in James 2.24, he says, you see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. It's the only time the faith only is mentioned in the scriptures. And he doesn't say faith only saves us. He says faith only does not save us, does not justify us. And so we need to understand that if we're going to be saved, we're going to have to be people of faith. We're going to have to, as we said in the beginning, believe in God, and we're going to have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we're going to have to believe in his word and do what he said do by repenting of our sins and being buried with him in baptism. So faith is valuable because it is what's going to save us in the end. Then six, by faith we can or withstand the fiery darts of Satan. Turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians in the 6th chapter. And beginning in about verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Paul would tell us that we're in a war. He would say, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of the might. Put on the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so then he begins to 
tell us about this armor that we have. And when you get down to verse 16, he says in particular, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, all of this equipment he's saying, above all, make sure you have the shield of faith. That's how important it is. Make sure you have this. And what you can do with it, he says, you can quench the fiery darts of Satan on these things. Well, how do we do that? Well, because of our faith a lot of times. Do you realize that if you have faith and you believe in what Hebrew said about God creating the world, you're not going to fall victim to the doctrine of evolution because you have your faith and that faith will quench that fiery dart that these people are throwing at you. And no matter what the dart is, if you've got the faith, that faith can overcome the dart. When you look at the book of James in the first chapter, in verse 2 and 3, he talks about how that we are tempted and how that we overcome it again by faith. 1 and 2 saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's the testing of our faith. You find it here, and you'll find it again in 1 Peter, the first chapter, in verse 6 and 7. Temptation is always a testing of our faith. And so we need a strong faith, and need faith and a strong faith, in order to overcome the temptation. But if we have that faith, then we can withstand the fiery darts of Satan. Number seven. We need faith in order to build upon to other good things. Uh, most of us are familiar with 2 Peter 1 and verse 5 through 7, where Paul or where Peter writes and says, Add to your faith, or given diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. But notice where it starts. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything to build to. You need faith in order to build to it. And so he's telling us this is the way that you grow, but you have to have faith in order to grow. Maybe that's the reason some don't grow. Their faith is not strong, and they haven't come to realize how valuable faith is. But if we realize how valuable faith is and seek it, then we can also begin to add these other things that he's talking about. Number eight. Faith is needed for an efficient prayer life. A couple of passages to look at. Matthew, the 21st chapter, and verse 22. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing that you will receive. Mark, the 11th chapter, and verse 24. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, you pray, believe that you might receive them, and you will have them. And then a passage perhaps more familiar with this, James 1, and verse 5 through 8, when he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all liberally without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not the man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now, a couple of things about this passage. In James, it would seem like that this this person that he's talking about lacks the faith is a double-minded person. One moment he's thinking about Christ, but the next moment he's serving the world. 
And he says, don't let a person that is like that think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. But he needs to have faith in the Lord. And then the other passages tell us that we need to believe and ask. But we also are told, like in 1 John, that we need to ask according to his will. In James, for instance, he is talking about if any man lacks wisdom. He'd been talking about temptations. And he says, now, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask a God who will give it liberally. Now, do you believe that God will do that? Well, I do. I remember talking to a fellow one time that he said he didn't know that God would give us that wisdom or not. But I think God's telling us if I, I have a temptation, if I'm looking for wisdom, I can ask for it. He's going to give me that wisdom. However, he chooses to do it, whether it's running into a wise person and he in, uh, instructs me or if I'm picking up the scriptures and reading it and get it. But he's going to give me that wisdom. But if I'm asking for something that's not according to his will, then I may not get it. And while we know the things that God has revealed to us, we don't know all of his will. I remind you of, of David when his child was sick and how that he prayed and they asked him about it when he died, that he got up and rose off and he said, you prayed when you was alive and, uh, and, and fasted and so forth. And now you, you get up and wash your face. He said, well, when he was alive, I didn't know whether God would be gracious and, and raise him up. There's some things we don't know. And so all we can do is go trust in God, knowing that God is righteous, that he loves us, he cares for us, that he will give us those things that are best for us and that will work in his plan. Have you ever thought about Joseph and how that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and then resisted Potter's wife and put in prison? What would you have been praying for if you'd been back there and your brothers had sold you? First of all, cast you into a pit and then sold you. What would you have been praying for? I don't know exactly what Joseph prayed for, but I, I have a feeling I know that I would have been praying for some things that I might not have gotten it because it wasn't God's will. And not that, that I, didn't, I didn't know at that time that I was praying for something that was against God's will, but just that not all of his will has been made known. And so we have to go to him sometimes, I think, and just say, I believe that you're able, and I pour out my heart to you, and I submit to your will. But never be like James is talking about, where we're double-minded, where we think that God is and that God can do these things, but the next moment we think, God doesn't have this kind of power. Or I'm serving God one moment, but the next moment I'm serving the world. Those are the things, and particularly he's saying, you're not going to get what you're praying for if that's what you're doing. We need to be people of faith, and we need to ask in faith in these things. Number nine, faith frees us from worry. I suspect that uh, many of us are familiar with Matthew, the sixth chapter, and, and know that the scriptures tell us not to worry. Uh, but what happens is we lose sight of what worry really is, and we lose sight of what Jesus tells us about how not to worry. First of all, we need to understand that worry is not the same as concern. I remember I was teaching a Bible class when I was in Fort Smith one time, and a fellow raised his hand, and he said, Brother Harold, he said, tell me how you're not going to worry at 3 o'clock in the morning when your, your daughter's not in. And I said, well, you have every right to be concerned, and certainly so. 
But worry, as he's talking about in Matthew the 6th chapter and other places, it means to be so concerned that you leave off the things that are more important, that you divide your attention and, and let it go to the things that are unimportant or not as important. And you see this in Matthew the 6th chapter. He tells us not to be uh, worrisome, but rather to have faith. Look at Matthew the 6th chapter in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they sow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into his oven, will it not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Here's their problem. They don't have enough faith. But he's not saying you shouldn't be concerned anytime. He's just saying you don't put that above things that are spiritual and leave off the things that are spiritual because you're so concerned about the physical. And he ends up by saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. And so we need, as he talks about, not to worry. But the way that we do that is by having faith, knowing that God's going to take care of me. Like the birds, we know that God's taking care of them, and I'm more valuable to him than the bird, and so he's going to take care of me also. And then consider Philippians, the fourth chapter, in verse 6 through 7, when Paul writes and says, be anxious for nothing. Again, some versions would say, don't worry about these things. But maybe a good translation, and that he shows us what worry is, is, is being anxious for these things when we know that God it knows our needs. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your heart and mind through Christ. And so he's saying, let your faith in Christ stop you from worrying. Believe in God. Believe that he hears you when you pray, that he's going to take care of you, as he has said. And then let me suggest to you, tenthly, that faith helps us passionately share the gospel to other people. Look, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians and the fourth chapter and verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. Paul writes and he says, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, and here's what's written, I believe and therefore I spoke. He says, We also believe and therefore speak because we understand that, that this is true. And because I believe it's true, that's the reason I'm speaking it to other people. And I do it passionately, he says. And so we need that faith to cause us to speak to other people. We have good examples. Look at the book of John in the first chapter in verse 40 and 41. And it tells us Jesus was out uh, that day and one of the two who heard uh, John speaker, excuse me, John the Baptist was speaking and pointing Jesus out. And one of the two that heard him was Peter, or was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Here, Andrew goes and finds Peter. And why? Because he believed. And so he's telling others. Go down a little further to John, the first chapter in verse 43, it says the following day, Jesus was to go to Galilee 
he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And it tells us now Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city that Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of Moses in the law. And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so here's Philip, and he's found somebody else, and he's saying, come, we've found the Christ. Why? Because he believed in Jesus. And so his faith was what was causing him to do this and tell others about it. Well, let me ask you, how valuable is faith to you? You recognize what it will do for you and, and what it is doing for you? And do you want faith? Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you want faith, then pick up the scriptures and read it fairly and openly, and you can gain faith through that. And perhaps you are here and you're thinking about faith and your faith will propel you to obey. Well, if you'll come this evening and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can bury you in baptism on your repentance. And you can rise up a new person in Christ Jesus. And you can grow that faith and, and be strong in the faith. And if we're here, then certainly we can see how our faith can help us to become stronger and grow in the Word and how it can help us in our prayers. So make sure that we're people of faith. If you're here and subject to the invitation, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing. Oh, do not let the